0: Have you ever been scared of the dark? Um, When I was little, I wasn't very scared of the dark, probably because I didn't know any better. But as an adult, um, there are times when I'm actually scared of the dark. For example, a few days ago, um, Roy parked the car in the back alleyway, and I had left something there, so I thought, oh, I'll go get it, and he wasn't home, and... It was just, you know, me. And so I thought, I'll just go around in the back. And it was about nine o'clock. Um, and it wasn't that dark yet, I thought. Um, but once I went around the house and walked down to the alleyway, um, as I was nearing the car, it just felt a lot darker than I thought it was when I first left the house. And by the time I got to the car and, you know, got out, I think it was my phone, um, that I had left in there and I started walking back. Panic started to set in and my heart was racing and I felt like running back home, but I don't know if you can relate, but you know when you're afraid that someone's following you, you actually don't want to run because you feel like if you run, then they'll run after you. And so then you really want to run, but you like just quick walk and pretend like you don't know in case you're tipping them off to the fact that you do know. Um, and so then I just kind of like power walked slash like la la la, but like hiding the fact that I'm about to cry inside um, and made it safely back and was telling myself I'm never going back there again um, by myself. And it was just um, kind of an unexpected fear that kind of propped up because I haven't felt that afraid uh, in the dark in a really long time. And, you know, children, because they're afraid of the light, uh, dark, have night lights, they have their teddy bears. I guess as adults we have our cell phones, um, But yeah, we don't really like the dark, do we? Um, Oftentimes, people seek light. Um, People want to be with other people if if they're going to be going around in dark areas. And Last night, we had our Thanksgiving barbecue picnic at the park, and as it got dark, I could tell everybody was getting a little bit anxious to leave. (laughs) Um, So yeah, we don't really like the dark for good reasons. But you know, we need the darkness as much as the light. In areas and cities, especially where there's light pollution, um, it causes a lot of problems. And research has shown that we actually need darkness, complete darkness, in order to have really good sleep. um, Having any bit of light, um, research was um, saying, I was reading an article, that even the little light on our cell phones, or the light on our alarm clocks, um, the light from the windows, that light can really interfere with our REM cycle. And research has also shown that it is in that darkness, it's in that sleep, that actually that muscle uh, protein synthesis happens the best. And that's when our cells are regenerating and growing. Um, Our cells and everything, our body, is basically healing itself and growing during that darkness. And in the same way, in a spiritual sense, we were created for a time of darkness, if I may say so, in addition to the light. And here's what I mean by that. I want to look at a story um, of a man who experienced literal darkness as well as spiritual darkness. And through this story, I hope we come to realize that it's in the darkness that one becomes truly a disciple, someone who chooses to follow Jesus. The man that I want to talk about is, um, his name was Saul. His name was Saul, and he was from an area called Tarsus. And this man was a very educated man. In fact, he was a very intelligent kind of, um, you know, one of those students that you pick on in class and say, yep, that person's going to go far in life. He was that kind of a, a young man, and in fact, his, um, he had a mentor, uh, Rabbi Gamaliel, who was actually one of the best-known rabbis of that time period. And in that time, rabbis didn't have just any nearly willy disciples. They would choose the brightest, the best, the ones who would be able to reproduce their own worldview and their teachings uh, faithfully to the world. And so Saul was such a young man. He was ambitious, he was capable, he was um, well-to-do. In fact, even though he was a Jewish uh, young man, he was born with Roman citizenship, which in that time period was a privilege um, that not everyone had. So clearly he's from a good family. He had good background. He had everything, uh, all his resources at his fingertips. He had a bright future ahead of him. But Saul, even though he had everything, was missing something. And when you look at the story of Saul in the Bible, you first meet him in a very tragic scene um, In fact, you could even say a very traumatic scene. And so if you go to Acts chapter 7, and I've put that on the screen for you. There was a man named Stephen. And what happened was after Jesus came, died, and resurrected, he um, left behind his church, the disciples who would carry on the work of Jesus. But what happened was the Jewish um, leadership called the Sanhedrin, basically 70 elders who ruled Israel, hated um, the Christians and started to persecute them. And they took this young uh, Christian named Stephen. And they were about to stone him. And so this is actually the scene. So, I'll read from verse 54 to 60. It says, When they heard these things, these are the Jewish leaders, they were cut to the heart because Stephen had just uh, preached this very eloquent sermon. And they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, Stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, and they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So in this very traumatic, tragic persecution, stoning of Stephen, that's where we meet Saul. And notice how it says that Saul was um, basically the guy that everybody would give their clothes to. They would lay down their clothes to Saul, because they didn't want to get their clothes dirty, right, from the blood of Stephen. So they would give Saul their clothes, and Saul would be like, yep, I'll happily take that. And he was watching as Stephen got stoned. And just in case you're thinking, well, maybe he was just an innocent bystander who happened to be there, you know. Um, This is what it says in Acts chapter 8. It says, Saul approved of killing him. And not just that, a few verses later, it says, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Why would Saul do such a thing? Why would he do such a thing? Obviously, he had been around when Jesus was teaching, preaching, healing. Saul was there. He had witnessed, perhaps, some of the miracles. He had heard, I'm sure, some of Jesus' teachings. And yet, he did not accept him. Not only did he not accept him, he went so far as to persecute those who followed Jesus. We kind of get a break about Saul for a little bit. And then in Acts chapter 9, We hear about Saul. This is what it says. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, "'Who are you, Lord?' And the Lord said, "'I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads.' So he, trembling and astonished, said, "'Lord, what do you want me to do?' And the Lord said to him, "'Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do.' And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul rose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus, and he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Can you imagine how Saul must have felt? What kind of thoughts would he have on this journey? Do you know how long the road is from Jerusalem to Damascus? Any guesses as to how far maybe? Anyone think it was about fifty kilometers? Hundred? 150. Yeah, Darren says 100, maybe. 220 kilometers, without cars. 220 kilometers from Jerusalem to Damascus. So Saul is not content with just persecuting those in Jerusalem, not even Samaria, not even you know near, kind of within a day's journey. No, he wants to go 220 kilometers away to catch the Christians to bring them back bound to Jerusalem. He's a man who avidly hates Christians. So can you imagine on his way to Damascus, and I don't know if it was you know, kilometer 2 or 20 or 200 at what point in that journey, but on that road, on that journey, Jesus appears to him in the light and the glory of heaven. And it's interesting that he actually can't see Jesus because of the brightness of the light. So he actually falls to the ground and he hears the voice of Jesus saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You know, that phrase, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Um, Scholars call that a double vocative. In other words, when someone um, says your name twice, it's used in the Bible by God several times. And it's often used, or always used, as you say, in a tone of compassion and gentle rebuke. For example, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked of you, but I prayed for you that you wouldn't fall. Or he says, Martha, Martha, you're worried about many things, but just relax, he says. Do what Mary does and sit and listen to me. So he uses this double vocative, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He doesn't say, Saul, you are persecuting me. He doesn't just point out Saul's sins and mistakes, but he invokes this gentle and yet penetrating, piercing question. Why? Why are you persecuting me? It's interesting to note that Saul um, is the same name as the first king of Israel um, back many centuries before. The very first king of Israel's name was Saul. And he was a king who did not follow after God but very quickly turned against him. And it's interesting that when Jesus uses uh, this name, um, so many kind of connotations would come up for the Jewish reader as well. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And as Saul is, that question is ringing in his ears, Saul doesn't answer the question of why, right? But he asks, who, who are you? And Jesus says, "I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting." And I like how Jesus identifies himself with the people. He doesn't say, "Why are you persecuting my followers?" He doesn't say, "Why are you persecuting my disciples?" But instead, Jesus says, "Why are you persecuting me?" And as Saul is blinded, and I and I and I imagine my if I were Saul, as I'm all of a sudden helpless, right? Here's Saul who had everything, right? He was a Pharisee. He was a Jewish leader. He was young. He had the whole future ahead of him. He was a guy who did not need anybody. And he thought he was a good person, not just a good person. He thought he was a great person. In fact, he thought he was going to be such a great fulfiller of the dreams and the hopes of the Jewish nation that he was willing to go 220 kilometers to Damascus in order to fulfill his mission. Here's a guy who not only does his KPIs at work, but actually exceeds them, does the next five years plan ahead of time, right? Here's a guy who was bent on success. All of a sudden, he's blind, vulnerable, dependent. Can you imagine him stumbling along the road, having to lean on someone else, the servants that he previously were ordering around? Now he's totally at their mercy. And as he is trudging along, he doesn't know how long he's going to be blind. In that darkness, what kind of thoughts would Saul have? How would he feel? And once he actually reached the city and, you know, just managed to get a room and was in isolation, he says he didn't drink or eat for three days. Can you imagine him replaying that encounter he had with Jesus on the road? What a surreal moment! And after that moment, he's blind. And for him, he might think, I am blind forever. Saul's whole world was crumbling down in the darkness. Not only is he physically blind, but all of a sudden, he's faced with the reality, the enormous truth of the fact that he's now responsible for the murder of hundreds of people. Can you imagine if your whole world purpose, your mission is to kill the very people that In that moment of encountering with Jesus, he realized are now innocent. As Roy mentioned, how would you feel when you feel responsible for even one person's death, right? Can you imagine how Saul felt for being responsible for so many people's death? He had just been there when Stephen was stoned to death right in front of him as well. As Saul in the darkness is grappling with the guilt is grappling with the reality that Jesus isn't a myth that, you know, Jesus' resurrection, I should say, isn't a myth, but that Jesus Christ is, in fact, alive and identifies with his people. Saul not only realizes that he has killed the innocent people, but he realized that he was part of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ as well. Because Jesus Christ came to this earth to identify with us. The whole name of Jesus and Emmanuel means God with us. God didn't choose to stay in heaven where he could have watched us and done his best. No, instead he came down to earth, became a child, grew up as as a man here, vulnerable to temptations and trials and difficulties that everybody else faces and more. And was killed on the cross in a very violent, very emotionally and spiritually draining way. And he was willing to go through all that because he wanted to identify with us so badly. And as Saul is grappling in the darkness through these thoughts, as he's thinking about the, the, the truth of who Jesus was, as he's thinking about all the scriptures and all the Bible stories he had heard and realizing, I was so wrong. Can you imagine? He, he realizes, I was so wrong about everything. About his thoughts, about uh, towards Jesus. His, his theology was messed up. His view of God was wrong. His whole life mission, his prejudice. Saul's worldview is just crumbling apart. And he's all of a sudden faced with a choice. How do I now rebuild my worldview with the fact that Jesus Christ is God? That question Why are you persecuting me would resound like an echo in the darkness as Saul sat there in isolation. And I think Saul came face to face with the fact that it was his pride, it was his prejudice that kept him from accepting Jesus in the first place. All those months, all those years of seeing Jesus, hearing Jesus and his disciples, even though he had resisted the Holy Spirit, even though he had resisted accepting him, finally Saul comes to face to face with the fact that he has in this darkness, a choice to further reject what he has just witnessed or to finally accept that Jesus Christ is Lord. Even though he saw, or I should say rather, saw the glory of Jesus and heard Jesus' voice in the light. It's in the darkness that Saul becomes a disciple. It's in the darkness that Saul makes that very difficult decision to change his worldview to accept Jesus' ministry and to take on a whole new life. To that question, who are you, Lord? And Jesus' answer, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, Saul in that darkness now has to surrender and say, I was wrong. I'm not this great person that I thought I was. I, I don't have it all together. I have all these justifications and reasons in my mind that I surrender now to you. How would we respond to that kind of a reality check? Maybe some of us would deny the fact. Oh, you know what? It was a hot day. I had not had lunch. Maybe it was just a hallucination. It wasn't Jesus. And we would just continue to do what we wanted to do. You know, Jesus says to, to Saul... I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And he says, it's very difficult for you to kick against the goats. And to us, we're like, what does that mean? Back in that, t- in that time period, you know, for the horses and oxen, they would have uh, these goats to basically prick them, the animals, you know, to go faster. Now, when the animals resisted and they would kind of kick back, it would hurt them more because they're basically kicking against um the sharp ends of those those instruments. And so in other words, what Jesus is saying to Saul is, Saul, you keep resisting me and resisting me and hurting yourself more and more. Because the more kind of passionate you are about resisting something, right, um, the, the harder you go against it. What I mean is this. You know, Saul could have just said, I reject Jesus and just continue on with his life. But no, he resisted so hard that he was going 220 kilometers to Damascus to kill and persecute the Christians. And so Saul is this person who was, uh, in essence, going to the extreme in order to, to silence the voice of God and to silence um, the thoughts in his head that perhaps Jesus is the Messiah. Perhaps some of us would respond that vehemently. Do you know anyone or even yourself who, instead of accepting God or accepting some of the things that God is teaching us, will not only reject them, but will go and insist on the other way and and go around and propagate that as the truth. Perhaps some of us respond to this reality check by being discouraged. I can't believe I killed all those innocent people. I can't believe I was working against God. I'm doomed. Might as well just give up now. Or maybe some of us would be angry. I can't believe God did not show me this sooner. I can't believe the Jewish leaders deceived me. I can't believe that God would come to earth to die a humiliating death and that I have to be an instrument of of Him and that I have to now uh, change my whole life. This is so inconvenient. How would we respond? How would we respond? The light is given to every person. The sun shines on everyone and the difference is in our response. You know, I planted about six different kinds of vegetables in my garden. Um, And it's in the same spot. They all get the same amount of water. They all get the same amount of sunshine. But my cucumber plant is dying. My lettuce plant is dead. And I have one tomato. (laughs) And I'm very, very happy and excited that I have one tomato. And every day I'm like, please don't die, tomato. You're my last hope, right? That uh, I can redeem myself for having a black thumb my whole life. But God gives each one of us light. God gives each one of us an opportunity to hear about Him. And really, the question is what is our response? He will not force it upon us. But He does give us that time of darkness to make a decision. What will be our response? You know, Saul is not the only person who has this darkness that enables them to make a choice. If you remember uh, a man named Nicodemus, who was also like Saul, but older perhaps, you know, in the Sanhedrin, already established, but having that burning question, who is this? Could this be the Messiah? And he went to meet Jesus, not during the day, but in the dark and night. You know, kind of hid himself, went and had this very interesting conversation with Jesus. And basically, Jesus says, Yep, I am the Messiah, and you must be born again. In other words, You must change your worldview. You have to be willing to give up your own thoughts and accept this new idea that I'm presenting to you. And Nicodemus couldn't for a long time. And it wasn't until the death of Jesus Nicodemus came out and said, yep, I believe. And for Saul, it took even longer. It took the death of Jesus, the resurrection, and the persecution of Christians on this road to Damascus that he finally comes to this point where he is willing to consider that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. In those three days, I imagine Saul experiencing a whole slew of stages, denial, guilt, shock, anger, sorrow. And finally, I think after close self-examination and heart humiliation, he, I think, accepted the fact that not only was Jesus God, but that now he was willing to spend the rest of his life serving him and his cause. You know, God could have left Saul in that darkness. After all, Saul might have thought, this is a a just, in fact, a very light punishment for for what I did. I mean, he's, he's killed so many Christians, right? So maybe Saul thought, you know what? This is the price I have to pay. But God actually had other plans for Saul. When you keep reading the story in Acts chapter 9. um, Sorry, the, the font is quite small there. I'll read. It says Acts chapter 9 verses 10 to 19. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tersus. For behold, he is putting his hand on him. Um, oh, sorry, behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine, to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some, time, some days with the disciples at Damascus. Why didn't God just open Saul's eyes? Right? Why did he use Ananias? I believe that in this process, God wanted to not just restore Saul's eyesight, but to restore to Saul and to gift him with community. Community and a sense of new purpose. By calling Ananias, God was confirming that Saul's conversion was genuine. You see, after Saul encountered Jesus, he now has nowhere to go. If he goes back to Jerusalem, they would all wonder, wait a second, what happened? You were on this mission to go kill the Christians. Now you've become one, right? He would definitely be thrown out of the synagogue for that. But if he went to the, the Christians, they would flee for their lives because here is a guy who goes around killing them all. And so he really had nowhere to go. He truly was isolated. But what God did was, by sending this vision to Ananias, he used Ananias as a bridge to connect Saul to the rest of the Christians. And he gave Ananias uh, affirmation that Saul's conver- conversion was genuine and that he truly was now trustworthy. But you know, for Ananias to actually accept that fact Ananias also had to let go of his worldview. He also had to let go of his prejudice. Because to him, Saul was a persecuting um, Pharisee. And it was not through any evidence from Saul, but in faith in God, that Ananias goes to bless and to restore Saul's sight. But not only does Saul get community through this process, but Saul also gets a new purpose in life. Notice how Jesus um, tells Saul, I am Jesus. and, And Saul says, what should I do? What do you want me to do? And Jesus doesn't tell him at that point, I want you to go be a witness for me to the Gentiles and to tell everybody about me. No, he doesn't say that. He just says, go to Damascus, arise and go to Damascus, and you'll be told what you should do. Sometimes we want God to tell us our whole future life calling and path and you know, decisions, who should I marry, what should I do for my life, everything all at once. But God in his wisdom chooses to just tell us, arise, go here, you'll be told what to do. And he places us in community, in, in a Christ-centered community. And then it is often through his church, through his community, that we can find our uh, spiritual gifts, that we can find our u- unique mission, that we can find our place in the overall goal of God to bring others to his light. And so Saul, through Ananias, finds out about this mission that he's now given, to go out and share the truth about Jesus to the non-Jews, to all the Gentiles who are living in that time. There's a, um, a chronicle of Saul's life and... I'm just going to read this passage for you. It says that Saul is given this new mission to open men's eyes and turn them from darkness to light. That was what Saul was sent among the Gentiles to do by the preaching of the gospel and therefore must first experience it in himself. From the darkness of his present terrors under the apprehension of guilt upon his conscience and the wrath of God against him. This filled him with confusion and during those three days he sat in darkness like Jonah for three days in the belly of hell. But now the scales fell from his eyes, the cloud was shattered, and the Son of Righteousness rose upon his soul with healing under his wings. Do you long for the Son of Righteousness to bring healing to your soul? Have you ever felt like you were in that darkness? Perhaps you've been introduced to Jesus and the reality of his existence is so um, at odds with everything you've ever known and everything you've ever believed that you are thrown into a clash of world views and you are in that darkness. Or perhaps, like Saul, you've known this Jesus for a while, but you have resisted the full implications of what it means to accept him as your Lord. We don't want to let go of our previous ways of thinking and living, and so we are in that darkness. Perhaps we are afraid of being ridiculed, of losing our place, of losing our friends, of all the worldly power, We don't want to suffer. We don't want to change. And we are in that darkness. In our darkness, we have a choice. In that darkness, Saul could have decided, no, I'm going to reject all this. I pray that as we are faced in our darkness, whether it's through that kind of mental... Difficulty of facing the truth of who Jesus is or whether it's through the circumstances of difficulties in our lives. I pray that as Jesus commands us to rise and go, that despite the fact that we are perhaps still blind, perhaps we don't really know the future, perhaps we don't really know the full knowledge of who he is, but perhaps Jesus is asking us to take that leap of faith, to rise and go and take that next step to learn more about him. Or perhaps God is calling us like he did Ananias to rise and go and show acceptance and forgiveness to someone who has yet proven him or herself worthy. But to arise and go in faith in God's power to transform people in darkness. And who knows the ending to the story? Saul, who had not only been a persecutor, but um, had been bent on rejecting God, not only becomes a Christian himself, but goes on to write 14 of the 27 books in the New Testament. He becomes a mighty missionary for the cause of Jesus. And that's why when you read uh, the New Testament books, he, he calls himself Paul. His name is changed. And do you know what Paul means? So Saul is, was uh, you know, like the first king who was rebellious. The word Paul means small. Small. You see, in the darkness, Saul had finally realized that he wasn't this great big shot. That he's actually quite small. And that it's only when he's fully dependent on God that he's able to be truly the light of the world. There's a, um, in that, um, that explanation of Paul, um, there's a, Paragraph here that I like to read. It says, In the full light of day, and in hearing of the music of other voices, the caged bird will not sing the song that his master seeks to teach him. He learns a snatch of this, a trill of that, but never a separate and entire melody. But the master covers the cage and places it where the bird will listen to the one song he is to sing. In the dark, he tries and tries again to sing that song until it is learned, and he breaks forth in perfect melody. Then the bird is brought forth, and ever after he can sing that song in the light. Thus, God deals with his children. He has a song to teach us, and when we have learned it amid the shadows of affliction, we can sing it ever afterwards. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 27, Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And I believe that every single one of us, in our moments of darkness, whatever it may be, right when no one's around, when we're truly alone, In that place, God does whisper in our ears. God is revealing himself to us. And I pray that as we listen, truly listen to what he has to say, even though it feels like we are lost and it's dark and it's terrifying, that we can find that song in the night that he's teaching us to sing and that as a result, uh, we will be truly the lights of the world. And so may God bless you as you go through that darkness.
1: Without answers, I've known sorrow, I have known pain. But there's one thing that I cling to you are faithful, Jesus, you're true. When hope is lost, I call you sin. surrounds my cook
0: Join me in prayer, Father God. Even though we might not have bright lights blinding us, I know that you shine to each of us enough truth about you that we can take um, that perhaps do challenge us, Lord. And I thank you for those challenges and those penetrating questions. And I ask that in that darkness where we make decisions that we would be able to accept you, that we would call you Lord and Savior, that despite the circumstances and despite um, our own struggles and confusion, that we would take that leap of faith and decide that we do want to know you more, and decide that we do want to be a part of your community, and that we do want to share what we have witnessed. And Father, I pray that if there is anyone here who has not yet made that decision for you, that... um, your Holy Spirit would continue to whisper in their ears. And Father, I pray that as we go into our discussions and as we talk about this concept um, that we have discussed today, that I pray that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would give us wisdom, um, help us to connect with you and with each other. And I pray that as you teach us songs in the night, that um, that melody would be shared in this community and in this city, Lord, so that, Father, the truth of your reality can be made known to the world. I pray in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.